You're listening to the Blue Box Podcast, and for the next 60 minutes, we'll be talking about Doctor Who, so you don't have to. JR. Hello, I'm Simon. Hello, I'm Lee. And I just noticed you always smile as you're saying that intro. The listeners should know that. Oh, the reason I smile is because I'm nervous. Oh, is it? Yeah. I thought it was because you just liked us, because you look at us when you no, point I at us. I hate you both. <laughs> <laughs> and we know that, really. I hate you both because you make me do this, and I'm nervous, <laughs> and I don't like doing it. I hate it. We make you do this. How does that work? Yeah. If you weren't here, I wouldn't have to do this because I wouldn't have anybody to do it with. I always thought it was the voices. What's the voices? That made you do it. Oh, you're a very funny man. Yeah, but we don't exist, Simon. You know that. We are his voices. Yeah. Oh, you're preempting what we might end up talking about. (laughs) The android invasion. Yes, I was going to say that. Was that episode the biggest waste of time in the history of Doctor Who? Well, I mean, we've not seen next week's yet, but presumably we could have had next week's and not bothered with this week's, right? <laughs> well, depends what he's learnt from it, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm just joking. Yeah, uh, it's a fair point, though. Um, yes, it is. But this is Stephen Moffat resting the idea of the Matrix back from the Wachowski brothers, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Saying, yeah. we did that first, you've nicked it from us, we're having it back. It could be well, well be trolled up later in the series though, couldn't it? It could be a little... It, it, it did feel like a Dan Brown meets Matrix, the Matrix. That's the first thing I thought about when he started breaking up into digital form and we'd already <coughs> had the Vatican involved and God knows what. But I don't know, I thought it rumbled on quite nicely. All those people that say that Stephen Moffat scripts are badly written. You've just mentioned Dan Brown. Yeah, have I just proven a point? <laughs> if that was Dan Brown's, that's the best thing he'd have ever written. <laughs> yeah, it's true. It's true. Mm. Oh, I don't know. Is Dan Brown really that bad? I've only ever seen The Da Vinci Code and I've not read any of the books, <laughs> but The Da Vinci Code was all right. Do you know what? Really? The da-, da Vinci Code so. is a page-turning piece of yeah. literature. You could sit there at a train station and really get into it. It's like Tom... Clancy is it? Yeah, he wrote, is that right. the firm and yeah. the Pelican Brief and stuff like yeah. that? Is that Tom Clancy? Uh, I've not read any. No, no. Pelican Brief isn't that uh, John Grisham? John Grisham, yeah, right. John Grisham. He writes these page-turning books, and they get tend to, you know, people tend to look down their noses at them. Mm. But I just think they're over. It's uh, what I always say. It does what it wants to do, and if it doesn't appeal to somebody who's not into that thing then that's not a reason to look down your nose at it because it's achieving what it's setting out to achieve. Well, I gave up on reading it. I tried to read it and I couldn't. Which? Uh, Da Vinci Code. Uh, And I think um, it's just one of those things, isn't it, that it hit a a particular theme that I really thought was quite exciting, like Fifty Shades of Grey did, and uh, it just took off. So it's it's just overhyped. Do you know what it reminds me of? Have you ever read The Celestine Prophecy? Uh, I've got got it. Yeah, I've never read it. It reminded me of that, the same sort of prose. Yeah. Um, Yeah, but I mean, that's what people can read, isn't it? Okay, that's fine. 
Um, Not for me. I thought National Treasure was better. <laughs> That's Dan Brown meets Indiana Jones. Yeah, exactly. Much well, more exciting. Yeah, but the Dan Brown thing is... I'm hardly well read, so I'm not going to be snobbish about it, but I did find it slightly clunky. Well, the Dan Brown thing... Well, Dan Brown... um, There's a Doctor Who story about that anyway, isn't there? Because the Dan Brown book is very similar to one that was written by either Mervyn Hazeman or Henry Lincoln. I think it was Henry Lincoln. A few years prior, who had written The Abominable Snowmen, right? Oh, of course, right. So it's already a thing that not only... So the Wachowski brothers, Nick the Matrix from Doctor Who, except they've probably never seen Doctor Who, mm. and Dan Brown nicked the Da Vinci Code from uh, Henry Lincoln. Supposedly. Yeah, except, it, except you know, that's hearsay, isn't it? You can't prove it, I don't no, suppose. No. The mm. point with Dan Brown and all those other things is that... They started to appear in the run-up to the millennium, right? Mm. And what they did was they took the ideas of the conspiracy thrillers of the 1970s, the Alan J. Pecula films, principally, like all the President's Men and Clute and things like that, the Parallax View, and all the President's Men wasn't Alan J. Pecula, or was it? Now I'm, okay, off the point. And they mixed it with the sort of pre-millennial horror of something yeah. like The Omen, and came up with a new mix that was kind of a timeless mix because let's face it, the Da Vinci Code really is just telling very similar stories to ones that you actually find in the Bible, right? Mm-hmm. So all it did was in that, in those decade or so before the millennium, it kind of hit upon a nerve yeah. of what people were thinking about going into the millennium. Because mm. if you remember, the two things about going into the millennium were, one, will technology bite us on the backside? And then the other one was, will religion bite us on the All these things like the Mayan prophecies and all mm. that kind of mm. stuff. So you're going into the millennium wondering if it's actually the end of days. And this is a, mm. a thing that always mm. happens at the turn of a century, and particularly at the turn of a millennium. So, but this is really a bit beside the point of what we're talking about. But I suppose (laughs) we've got a huge, powerful network of computers connecting everybody, which is the difference between the year 1000 and 2000. Hmm. So people are more in contact with each other very quickly. So the whole millennium thing became a bit of a a viral uh, virus. It It was like a virus, actually. Everybody's getting very paranoid about it. But all this, all this man prophecy stuff, 2012, we're still here. But there's there's like 60 or 70 of these things happening like almost every year. Mm. But we just don't hear about them. It's only certain things that get brought up. And, uh, but if you remember in like 97, 98, 99, that's when we really started to talk about them. Mm. I think. Yeah, because of the year 2000. Yeah, exactly. So what is this playing on then? What kind of fears are we getting from this? Well, I'm it's not stuff I click on, but there's... I see quite a few videos to do with um, are we living in a simulation that's all going on and CERN and all this Well, we've had that since Tron, haven't we? Yeah. We had the, there a, seems a to be a, quite a heavy proliferation of it at the moment, though, I've noticed. But I don't every, click on any of them. But surely everyone of us growing up as kids... And we all that, had that existential moment where yeah. somebody came into the school and said, hey, do you not realise that we all might just be figments of one another's imaginations, right? Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah, yeah. So, yes, he was obviously plugging into that because <laughs> Doctor Who, for the 
twelve year olds watching it, they'll all be going into school on Monday and saying, Oh, are we all just figments of one another's imaginations? Yeah. So he's, he's tapping into that. And he's tapping into, <clears throat> and this is what Simon was just moving towards, things like Second Life and mm. Sims. Mm. And it's not, and I said, but it's not a recent phenomenon in that it's just happened in the last few months or whatever. But what it is, is a phenomenon that's been growing in strength over the last few years. Mm. And as computers are getting better and better mm. at doing those simulations and doing more and more realistic simulations, you get to the point where you buy something like the latest Zelda game, right? And some of it's almost indistinguishable from like watching a film or something. Mm. But mm. I, I think you're right. I think I mean, the Android invasion was the thing I thought of straight away. Yeah. This is this is an updated version of it. But it wasn't as I do I do like a lot of this and we'll get get to that in a minute, but what I didn't enjoy so much that it wasn't so clean cut. It was trying to be all very clever. And it didn't this was. Actually, yeah, it didn't actually need to be. You could have had just just as fun an adventure like the Android invasion depicted, you know. No, yeah, but this was trying to be a fun adventure. No, no, I know, I know. And that's but but it, it felt so obviously that it was like that, an invasion via a simulation. But we haven't seen the invasion yet. And actually, when the invasion comes, it's not going to be the invasion you think it's going to be. Okay. So that will all make more sense over the next fortnight. Um, <clears throat> but no... What I liked about what he was doing with it was that he wasn't doing that. It almost said, it was almost... Okay, so there were two things running in tandem. We got to see the story of how Missy got to be in the box, right? Mm. And I don't know whether there's still more to that than meets the eye. There's got to be a reason why she goes into the box, hasn't there? So I guess we'll, we'll yeah, find that out. that doesn't make any sense at the moment, does it? No, really? so I guess we'll find yeah. out. So, but in tandem with that, he's telling this story about this simulation. And there were some good moments where you thought mm. you'd lost Nardole. Mm. And you, mm. just for a second, you think, are we losing Bill? You don't really believe you're losing Bill. But, I mean, it's nagging at you. How is this going to play out? Well, they keep it right to the last minute, don't they? And then the Doctor admits that he's, he knows he's not real. Yeah, yeah, I know I'm not real, sort of thing. And then you're like, oh. Okay, that kind of shifts the gear a bit. Yeah, that's what I mean. That's what I was yeah Yeah. talking about. And so, but if you go back to the start of the episode from that point, then the start of the episode is almost sets down the sort of idea that this episode is not going to matter. Like I said at the start Mm -hmm. when we were recording, Mm -hmm. it's almost like the entire episode is sort of securing the knowledge that when it comes to the end of the season, although he will have learned things from here that he will be able to use in repelling this invasion in a fortnight's time or whatever, mm. it's almost like the episode says, right, it, this isn't going to matter, so let's have fun with the fact that it doesn't matter rather than trying to make it feel like something that matters. So rather than making it feel like a Doctor Who adventure, it's almost like it says... This isn't a Doctor Who adventure, because when it comes to the end of the season, you won't be able to tick it off in a box of Doctor Who adventures that you've seen, because mm. this is like a pre-adventure, non-adventure. So, so it's almost like it says, right, let's not even bother trying to be Doctor Who this week. No. So, it, so it's almost, yeah, it does feel like it could be just on its own, a bit like Death in Heaven. 
um, Heaven Sent. Heaven Sent, that's the one. Uh, but <clears> it's just on its own. Like you say, you can almost you can take it or leave it. It it's is not, Heaven Sent. That's it basically is. it's yeah. a sequel to Heaven Sent thematically. It is. Uh, I mean, the death thing is just it's rife all the way through. <clears> but what what was the um, uh, what was the book about? Again, explain to me. He said at the end. Was it an? It, what is it? It's just an algorithm. No, no, no. The book was the 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 book Veritas. Yeah. Said you're all a computer program. You're not real. Oh. That was how they found out. But why is why it, why was it invented in the first place? Why is why is it there? The computer program. No. Why is why is the book there? What's it for? Because some people found out that they were in a computer program and wrote it down. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Hence, we, hence it was locked up in the Vatican. Come on, Lee, you must have seen The Matrix. No, 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 no. no, no. This is, I get it. I just years don't and years I just since I've seen The Matrix. I just don't know this... what the thought process is behind The Veritas this. is essentially, if I'm not mistaken, it's years since I've seen it, but The Veritas is essentially Neo. Mm, mm. Is that right? Yeah, it's taking the... Neo's uh, the one who knows. Pills, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, that sort of stuff, whatever it all is. From The Matrix. But the reason why he knows is because he's and, alive. And it's his brain that's in the Matrix, not his body. His body's He's not in alive. the Matrix. It, Neo is in the Matrix. Oh, right, yeah. So he can't, uh, do no, the ma- no, no. he can't do all his magic powers when he's in a ragged T-shirt in a, in a crate. Well, he can by the end of it. Spoilers. Well, he can by the end of it, and that's, that's the God complex thing coming in. But <clears> in this, that's not what, what's happening. These guys are not linked in any way to their original copies. They are... A, well, they, I well, they are as much a, as they are a complete copy of that. Original. They're just a complete copy, but there's no link They're not aware they're a copy. Right. That's the, that's he did, he did ping himself an email. It's a massive piece of misdirection, <laughs> isn't it? Yeah, it's absolutely right. Yeah. Um, you know, think about Red Dwarf, back to reality. And I got the same, ooh, like that, moment where you start thinking, oh, hang on a minute. You know, there's that bit where they come out of the simulation mm. and they think, oh, I'm not the person I thought I was. And for a moment, you think to yourself, well, this is a bit weird. Really? Were they never the person they were supposed to be? And then it gets turned on their head again. Then you realise, mm. and you know what else? But that, you missed? know what? That's more well explained than this <clears> was. Yeah. No, I don't know. I didn't. Okay, so the book wasn't written by these monks that they talked about years and years and years ago because the simulation hasn't been running that long, right? It was a Castrovalva moment. <laughs> Remember in Castrovalva <laughs> okay, yeah. when you've got the history books that are all brand new, <laughs> even nice though touch. they've been added to over the centuries. That's what's happening with the Veritas. Okay, so it this... had been running in theory for quite a while, but it, obviously the runtime was quicker because it was all done on the computer. So oh, in theory, it had been running that long potentially. But I thought the reason why the Veritas was lost, mm. and there's this myth about the Veritas being lost, is because they've made up the myth, like in Castrovalva, so that when the new copy of the Veritas shows up, and who knows, maybe the Veritas itself is a. Uh, is not being created by a neotype character, but it's being created by an algorithm within the simulation mm. that has somehow worked out. That okay, if you've got oh, well, it, maybe it's there to root out the people who are so intelligent. They said that, didn't they? It was it was there to root out the people who were so intelligent that they could work out oh, that yeah. they were in a simulation. Yeah, so therefore actually, they yes. were. Oh, I People prefer the idea I was just going to come up with. <laughs> well, no, it may be. It may be that it does naturally occur within the. Well, I was going to say, a computer it's program a, knows it's a computer program, right? Mm. Even though the elements within the computer program in this sort of scenario might not be aware. So the computer program might have written the book itself 
in and that is the design from which the computer program is running and that design has become something that's become written down within the program but it's just a, it's a well so it's it's ai it is what we're talking about it's, it's hal it's david from alien and all this sort of stuff it's then it's the thinking machine is what's going to happen so no i don't think that was the important no but this is uh, it's not the important point is it but you just just said that they're seeking out intelligent uh simulations working it out that they're in the you know in in that world in that matrix but they're in a program they're not in an ai well Well, i mean it's but it's not an AI that's become it's sentient. It's an intelligent algorithm, it's AI, isn't it? Okay, it's an intelligent algorithm, but it's not a sentient algorithm. It's running a program. It's not thinking for itself Although in the... terms of independence. I mean, it was such an accurate simulation that that's. I imagine that's why the doctor tells Bill mm-hmm. to ring his date to make sure she's there, because he wants things to run exactly as it was in the simulation. That's how he's going to use it against them. Oh, okay. That's what I think. I'm not sure. I just thought that was a nice moment at the end. Yeah. Or do you I, think? Oh, it's just that he's seen that it works. No, he's seen that. No, I think it's literally that bit at the end. I think it's literally just that bad things are going to happen. Do mm. something nice before they do. I think. Oh, okay. That's it. If you're saying, going back to the subject of talking to kids through the program and doing uh, an episode of the program that reflects that existential conversation that teenage kids always have. I think that at the end is just a nod to the shy kids saying, "Don't be shy, seize the day." I think I don't know. That's just what I got. Seize the day. It's your world. It's our life. Yeah, (laughs) love it. Dead Poet Society. (laughs) You've seen Dead Poet Society. Yeah. 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 Good film. Great film. Yeah, I think that's what the moment at the end was. Yeah. Um. I don't know. We haven't actually said whether we liked it or enjoyed it. Oh, I loved it. Still chewing it over. I'm not sure I like the bad guys, if I'm honest. More They're... mummies type things. Mm. <clears throat> yeah, for for a species that are intelligent enough to run a program this complex before you're about to invade, when you actually got to see them, they're a bit kind of... Uh... They look like something that crawled out of the slime sort of thing. This is Doctor Who all over there. You've got um, yeah, yeah, yeah. ice warriors with you know hand pincers. How do they even you know go to the toilet? It's just it, monsters with hands that don't work properly or faces, and they it's Doctor Who. It's Doctor Who, isn't it? You know, pteroleptiles making beautiful robots with webbed and clawed fingers. Doesn't make any natural sense, does it? Yeah. I think yeah. that's just, just a design. Just I didn't with it. really take bit Pompeii, seen, wasn't it? We've seen quite a few a bit like that, haven't we? You I mean? Journey to the Centre of the TARDIS, Fires of Pompeii. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. Yeah. It's, in fact, they're not a million it's, miles away from the silence. It's getting a bit like foreheads in Star Trek, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, I mean, obviously there's quite a lot of makeup going on there, but yeah. But I feel like this whole season so far, or most of it, feels like the Hinchcliffe era. It's almost like he's looked back at that and gone, yeah, do you know what, it's my last stab at this, I'm going to, I'm going to scare the hell out of the kids. So if you look back at all of the moments in the, in the last few episodes there, there's some terrifying moments you know oxygen was terrifying well, there were in, in the last three well. there weren't so much in the first well there were in the first three but there were a different kind of yeah and people killing kind of themselves tale. again just committing suicide that's quite a mature theme for a saturday night well, actually i love the typical moffat juxtaposition of the pope turning up in the middle of a same-sex relationship mm-hmm it's fantastic, absolutely brilliant. And then Pope Benedict being a woman, 
But he, I thought he can't that, resist it, can he? No, I know. But all Love those it. little jibs and jibes and fun bits of fun yeah. that he's throwing at the at the screen at us, and his you know whatever his beliefs are, I don't know. But it it didn't really matter because it was just so well done. I mm. thought the whole thing was just so well mm. played and so serious. You know, they took it seriously. And Even the pacing, not, I mean, the pacing was really as it has been in this series. You know, yeah. aside from maybe just taking smile. its time and telling the story, mm. <clears throat> which is you know I appreciate. I did find a couple of the jumps back to Missy a little bit jarring. Yeah. Mm. I mean, I knew it was obvious as soon as we remember. When they had that pre-titles, it was almost as if you'd seen enough of that 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 could have been left for another week entirely and you didn't need Mm. to see her again. But when you realised you were going to be jumping backwards and forwards to Missy, it was a case for them of deciding, right, where do we put those? Mm. Because we've got X amount of those to slot in. And okay, they're in the script... But when you've actually recorded it all and you're in an editing suite, you get the choice to move them if they seem to fit better elsewhere. And either A, they moved them and so it didn't quite feel right, or else B, they didn't move them and they should have moved them because a couple of them felt like, or at least one of them felt like it was in the wrong place. I think they need to watch Arrow (laughs) because Arrow is the master of telling parallel stories in two time frames. And they do this great thing where when it goes back in time, it goes... Mm. Just stick a few of those on. You know it's coming. <laughs> I know what you mean. I think it was one too many visits. Yeah, there was it, something. It, it there was a bit some superfluous, didn't it? In cases. There was a okay. Do the does the is there a reason why the Missy stories in this episode, other than the fact that obviously it's written by Stephen Moffat? I think it's just it is setting up something for the future, isn't it? Obviously, no, no, no. I mean, is there a reason why he chose to tell that bit of the Missy story in this particular episode? Because she's going to be integral to the rest of the story to this these three episodes. I'm guessing that she will crop up. No, I don't think Missy's going to turn up again now till episode eleven. No, okay. No, I think she's just in the box. I don't know. Maybe she will. I could be wrong. Could be Stephen Moffat in the box, can't it? Oh God, has he listened to our podcast? From the start. Oh, dear. <laughs> He's been listening from the start. No, what I mean is, generally, thematically, if you're telling two stories, thematically, the two stories will share something. Mm. And other than the fact that, well, the only thing was... I mean, it explained Nardole, didn't it? No. Didn't it? Not entirely. Well, it said that River Song had sent him. But we don't know what he is or what this... What he's on the run from and his old face of his and all that. And it was inferred the Doctor had put him back together again. Yeah. That had already been implied earlier in the series. Yeah. But this this inferred that... Riverside had sent him. To look after him. To stay with him. Yeah. So obviously this is a trip out from their 24 years, I presume. We found out who the Doctor made the vow to. Yep. Um... Going back to the subject of whether there's a thematic link between the two distinct storylines. <laughs> oh, maybe it's just a convenient episode, though. It, well, that's what stuff. I'm saying. Is it just that it's a convenient episode, in which case that drags the score down because you need to have more of a reason than that it's convenient? It's odd, isn't it? It was, it for was me. two but separate it, stories. Yeah, okay. So, okay, for five minutes I've been trying to get it out. I've been thinking about it, and I think the link is this, and now I'm trying to say it. It's, like, information constip- me. On, it's like information constipation for you, isn't it? <laughs> yes. <laughs> well, well, is there a link between the two? Go on. <laughs> well, what I'm going to say is only that this... And because this is how writer's mind works as well, 
when you're putting a season together, you think you need to have certain junctions along the way that open the story out. And he's decided... He knows that he's got Peter Harness coming in next week and Toby Whithouse the week after. And originally their two stories weren't going to have anything to do with one another mm. until Stephen Moffat realised that those two stories could be linked by the monks. And so Peter Harness' story presumably will be an incomplete story that leads into Toby Whithouse's final part. But they were originally three distinct stories, this and those two. Mm. And this presumably could have been anything and wasn't originally going to be <clears throat> about a computer simulation. But then, if Stephen Moffat knows that episode six is where he's going to tell the story about how Missy got to be in the box, and what the the entire point of the Missy story, and I mean, it was fairly obvious from the start that he wasn't going to kill her, but the whole thing is a deception. Or if not a deception, he changes his mind partway through. And the only thing is that at the end of the episode, when you find out it's a computer simulation, because that's what you find out at the end of the episode, then you realise the entire episode has been a deception, mm. which is where it mirrors what's happening with Missy. Yeah, okay, so, so false, it's very simple. False identity. Well, not... The reason why I say that is because... Well, she's not a false identity, is no, she? No, 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 but the, the actual episode itself is. There seems to be like an identity thing going through all of these episodes as well. You know, Nardole's identity, you know, um, who's Bill, who's in the vault, what's what's going on with the Doctor. You know, he his identity changes when he goes blind. There's, uh, you know, thin ice itself, the whole thing about thin ice. I don't know, it's just... The seat, I actually wrote it down, shall I... Shall I find my bit of paper about identity? You ready? Look, I actually wrote it down. I'm so tired. And it was came in. Where is it? Bloody bits of paper. Seriously, you've got six. No, I've got to write it down because uh, I'm so damn knackered. I don't remember it, so I'm already wobbling. So look, okay. Secret identities, identities in general. Landlord, Nardole, the Vault, Bill, her student home life, uh, who she is really. The Doctor's grounded in the uni. As a professor, that's not his normal identity. The Thin Ice storyline, tricking the audience um, with the alien rocket fuel herring. This one, um, the puddle um, in the, and the male alien voice that changed the identity of the puddle girl, becoming the pilot. The emoji bots gaining an identity. It just seems to be hitting certain little themes. And I always think when you know they start a season, maybe they just kind of go, do you know what, sometimes we need to, we need to just throw these little themes in. And I, I don't know whether it's me, but I just keep picking up on these uh, extra big themes. Hartnell as well, obviously. Hartnell's heiress really obviously being homaged all the way through. Um, I it, did mention something about this in one of the two episodes that you didn't listen to. Yeah, I know. That's why I wasn't going to bang out <coughs> about that one. But, but Well, I was going to bring it up again this week anyway. Mm. And, well... But am I, am I just seeing things where there isn't anything? No, but Stephen Moffat does this anyway. He always, in his series, will foreshadow the finale and he will foreshadow the resolution. So, for example, in the first series he did, the way they get the Doctor back at the end mm. is mm. by rebooting the yeah, universe that's... and then wishing him back into reality. That's a really big If you look at connection. things like Victory of the Daleks and The Beast Below, 
there's a lot of and a lot of the other episodes the idea of rebooting things is spread throughout mm. that series mm. and the idea mm. of wishing something back into reality is made explicit in victory of the daleks well bill patterson's robot wishes the bomb inside his stomach not to blow up yeah <laughs> stephen okay. moffat always foreshadows <clears throat> and so it becomes a case of you have to look at it and you know once you've seen the finale you know but until you see the finale you see all these themes and all these threads and you have to work out which ones are simply foreshadowing and which ones are actually feeding into what's going to happen yeah. al no had a theory in series eight which is the one that ended with death in heaven that missy was going to be behind the original creation of the Cybermen on Telos because all the bodies that she was stealing all seemed to be prototypes for what the Cybermen would eventually become. And of course, that transpired that that wasn't the case because it was just another example of Stephen Moffat foreshadowing the fact that there were going to be Cybermen at the end by mm -hmm. putting in, you know, uh, substitutes for Cybermen in other stories. So there were prototype Cybermen throughout that series because he was foreshadowing rather than because they were feeding into the plot of the finale. So here, you've just got to look at all the different bits and pieces. I said last week, Lee, that either he's deliberately feeding us clues to suggest that Bill is going to turn out to be Susan or else he's just hit a theme that's going to turn out to be relevant in one way or another and it looks like clues about Susan mm. being really Bill. So we know also that John Sim and uh, Missy are going to be in this series. And now we know where. Because that could have been tonight and it wasn't tonight. So mm. now we know that it's in episodes 11 and 12. Mm. So Missy and John Sim are going to be part of the theme of the finale. So you would expect... If Stephen Moffat's doing his theme of threading in foreshadowing for uh, how the finale is going to work, you would expect there to be foreshadowing of people changing identity from one mm. identity to another. Double identity, yeah, just it's, because it's about it's all in there. John Sim turning into mm. Michelle Gomez. So if you see a story where it turns out that the father is actually the son, well, that's because you've got a storyline where Missy's actually John Sim. So, but it could still turn out to be that Bill is Susan. It could be that Stephen yeah. Moffat is doing both storylines together. You don't think it's just a bit of a red herring, a bit of a tease, a bit of a kind of a nod? Yes, he also does that. You look at series six, where the Ganger storyline is part foreshadowing of how yeah. the Big Bang is going to go down. Yeah. In the Big Bang, you've got two doctors running around the museum. Mm. In Gangers, you've got two doctors running around the facility. Mm. It foreshadows how the end is going to play. But it doesn't have anything to do with the actual storyline of mm. the ending because they went with not the thing that was in the uh, episode written by somebody else, but they went with the thing that was in Let's Kill Hitler, the episode that was written by Stephen Moffat. Because mm. mm. that's what Stephen Moffat does. He writes the story himself. He tells the other writers what that story is going to be about. Or at the very least, he says to them, right, somewhere in your story, I want you to include one of these three themes. Mm. And so you'll get variations on the various different themes yeah. spread throughout the series, even if the writers themselves are unaware of why they're doing it. 
And that's why, and that's why, because he doesn't tell them what the finale is going to be. Sometimes it looks like bad foreshadowing, or sometimes it looks like bad plotting, because you look at it and you say, well, that doesn't quite add up with everything else we've seen. And it doesn't really have to, because it's not actually relevant. It's just a way of foreshadowing it. Mm. So the gangers thing didn't need to be there at all. Mm. They could still have had the same finale without the gangers thing at all. Yeah. And I, even when we were watching that, or I was watching it live, I was thinking, well, I hope that they, um, <clears throat> I hope they leave this, leave, have, have a false doctor wandering about the universe who's a ganger. That'd be quite funny in its own way. Um, and obviously at the end of the season, we had, we were all trying to guess how it is that he gets out of it. But they didn't actually leave that they didn't do that and that would have been quite nice because we'd have still been guessing at the end what all these different ways the doctor be could could be replicated but for some reason like you say i think stephen moffat just wanted his tesselector to be the one and for all of us to kind of go how could he get out of this oh it must be the tesselector yeah but there was a reason why he killed off the doctor in the ganger's story where was that then i can't remember where it was a bluff he killed off the doctor and you thought oh it's resolved and then, mm. come the end of the episode, it turned out that Amy was the ganger. Oh, yeah, of course. <laughs> so, you weren't expecting that, because he'd pulled the rug out. I mean, <laughs> no, well, he, he he pulled the rug out after it looked like he'd nailed the rug down. By killing off the Doctor ganger, you think, oh, that's resolved, that's the end of that. And then five minutes later, you get the rug pull moment, which wouldn't have been as effective if the other Doctor had still been mm. at liberty... Because you you wouldn't have closed the story yeah, off in your true. mind. That's true. Special ganger rug. So the reasons these things happen. It's interesting the echoes you say though. Going back to that <clears throat> that original finale where they almost bring the Doctor back through belief of, yeah. of remembering him, and you've got that in Victory Daleks where he <clears throat> where the, he overcomes his programming because he believes he's a good person. Yeah. And you've got the same thing here where the Doctor. Realising he's a simulation, but he still thinks, but I'm a simulation of the Doctor, therefore I am the Doctor, and I believe I am the Doctor, but in a different form. Therefore, I will behave like the Doctor. And I'll save the day by doing the only thing I can that saves the day, by sending a message to the other version of the Doctor. Yeah, and it's a a big philosophical statement, isn't it, that we are the people who we, we are who we want to be at the end of the day. We can only be that. And it's a choice. We believe we are. (laughs) <laughs> oh, or we want to believe. Oh, yeah. And also, that foreshadows the regeneration at the end of the series as well. And the I fact mean, that well, you've got have... that thing dropped in, haven't you, where he's, he's got to pay somewhere along the line for getting his sight back temporarily. Oh, no, because that was a simulation. That, that So the real Doctor doesn't have to, does he? That's true. Yeah, no. But but what that, what that says to us is the real Doctor is not going to get his sight back, so he's going to be blind to the end of the series. Mm. because the simulation has copied everybody exactly and if that's the best he was able to do in the simulation he's not going to be able to do any better above stairs as it were Mm. so we're going to have a Doctor who's blind to the end of the series yeah unless he triggers it in some way and he has a partial regeneration to regenerate his eyes but don't you think that that was so well played? I mean, it was played for laughs in places, but actually it was taken quite seriously mm. as well. He did a well. really good job. I thought it was great. Of showing that he couldn't see. Wow. No, I find it all very emotive. I really do. Yeah. Yeah. I, thought, I thought it was reasonably respectful as well, you know? Yeah. But, I thought it was quite respectful towards religion, for the most part. 
I mean, Stephen Moffat said, <laughs> Stephen Moffat said in an interview, he said, we're getting the Pope in, but we're not taking the piss out of him because why would you? Mm. People believe in God. That's fair enough. I don't, but if they do, I'm not going to take the piss out of them for it. So he said, if we get the Pope in Doctor Who, we're going to be respectful to him. And basically, I thought they were. Yeah, no, I think so. I think, don't think he was belittled in any, in any no, way. No, but in a way... He did look I mean, like the whole a bloke le- out of turn left, though, didn't he? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, he was He, wasn't he was belittled. the bloke in turn left. Oh, but that's my joke. Oh, OK, I can realise. It's not often <laughs> jokes go over your head. <laughs> well, yeah, but I wasn't expecting cleverness from you, Simon. <laughs> <laughs> Ooh. Pretty. Uh, not this late at night. Well, I didn't realise you knew, because he did look... Well, I didn't think he looked remotely similar. Oh, uh, I forget a face. But, you know, the whole belief in religion... I should have remembered, thing. actually, his turn left. It's one of your absolute favourites. Or from that sort from of... From that era, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Belief in religion. It was like you say. Belief was all the way through it. So we had our we had our pope and everything turn up in the, in the bedroom. Um, yeah, but that's a reason why that as well, and that you've just sort of half alluded to yeah. is if you're going to do a program about a computer simulation where everybody believes they're real but they're not, mm. then what you're essentially talking about is religion. So that's why do the Dan Brown thing in this episode. But he also beautifully mentioned, you know, particle physicists believe in certain things as well. He's obviously alluding to, I don't know, stuff like dark matter, which is only a theory. It's still only a theory. Nothing's proved yet about dark matter, but they know there's something in the universe pulling us about, which they can't work out. So therefore, you know, in a way, that's a little, that's kind of, you know, scientists having a faith in something. Um, and yeah, so I, I kind of loved the idea that the two rooms were accessible from the main control room with the projections. You could go to the Vatican or to the CERN. <laughs> it just made me laugh. Yeah, but that's another <laughs> lovely, lovely, beautiful piece of misdirection that they they went there, like you say, thinking it was a gateway. No, it wasn't. It was a projection no. room. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was amazing. That was amazing. Yeah, they escaped out of their world into you know the brain or or heaven or whatever you want the to hum. call it. Hub, yeah, yeah, the hub, yeah, yeah. But it, it, I wasn't quite sure why they had those particular places to go to. I mean, it's all three, four of them, yeah, maybe. Yeah. Well, they look into the greatest minds working on CERN because I thought has is CERN something specific to do with the story? And I don't think it was. I think it was just going to somewhere where mm. the uh, say, scientists are going to the pinnacle of their. their they did knowledge. say they were running simulations of essentially the most important bits. Mm. Right, so they had ones the Vatican, ones the White House, ones CERN, mm. and so on. And the other one was Bill's bedroom or something, wasn't it? Wasn't that where? Oh, it was, it was. It was like a front room. I can't remember now. She came out and there's a TV on. Where was that? Oh, that, no, it was the White House, wasn't it? Oh, was it the White House? Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Sorry, it wasn't a bedroom at all. <laughs> <laughs> I'll have a drink of tea. Dozy's sad. Um, <laughs> um, I don't know. Is there anything we've missed? It was a beautiful opening. It was like Game of Thrones or something, wasn't it? That was in... Um, it's incredible. The um, Canary Isles again, mm. I think. Mm. And it is next Lovely. week, obviously, where they're doing the um, pyramid. Oh, sorry, Lee. I'm going to kick you in a minute. Well... The, I've not really spoiled the Sphinx a lot, comes alive, does it? Is that what you're going to tell me? No. Okay, we won't mention more about that. <laughs> there's yeah. no, well, we're not going to do spoilers this week anyway, because there's nothing really to spoil. Um, so 
So obviously it wasn't John Sim in the box that was missing. No, mm. you thought it was John Sim in, under the cloak at one point, didn't you? For I did. I was trying to recognise his voice. It was very good. Yeah, when the voice came on, it was like, okay, mm. that's Matt Lucas. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, no, when he first turned up, because I knew that John Sim was coming in here somewhere and he was either coming to kill or to rescue Missy, right? Mm. I mean, even if he doesn't realise he's coming to kill or rescue Missy, it has to be one of the two things. Otherwise, it's not a story. So, when initially, when the figure turned up, I thought, well, that could be the moment where John Sim turns up to rescue her. But even as I was saying it, I was thinking to myself, but that's 15 minutes into an episode. That's a very strange point at which John Sim would turn up. And then as soon as he started speaking, it was like, you're right, no, okay. (laughs) On the back foot again. I think there's an awful lot of seeds have been planted, though. I think you're right, though. I think there is a connection between the two masters. And um, uh, possibly this thing where Missy's saying, I can be good, I can be good. And you never know how that's going to come to fruition. Well, I said during the week on Facebook that I thought, well, I mean, it was kind of half a joke again. But I said... What's in the vault has to be John Sims' master, and the vow the doctors made has to have been to John Sims' master, because following the events of the end of time, he's repented and become a good person, but he knows that if he regenerates, he'll turn back into a bad person, so he's asked the doctor to lock him up in the box to make sure that doesn't happen. And Missy comes and frees him to make sure he regenerates into her, Mm. so she frees him and kills him. That's a much more straightforward theory than the one I had which was that it was the doctor <laughs> the next doctor in the vault <laughs> which I thought would be really really fun and I and I actually wrote the plot out and thought that would be great I'm I'm hoping that will happen now but of course it won't because it's like the it's Douglas Adams universe and if you think about it you know it's going to change it was if you always... work out what the universe is you know about Mm. It, it, it will was, suddenly change into something different. It was always either Missy or John Sim in the box, as far as I'm concerned. And um, how about that Sherlock moment the other week? Did you pick up on that? Um, you know when uh, Sherlock goes and visits his sister. Spoilers, and she's playing the violin, and he's playing the violin, you know, between the glass or the non-glass. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. There was that nice moment where you know you have Missy in the vault playing the piano, and her prisoner walking at and listen to the prisoner playing the piano in the vault. And I just saw that, again, it just reminds me of, of Sherlock. Little, yeah, little scenes yeah, yeah. get picked up and reused. Well, that's what, that's what he does. Stephen Moffat does, yeah. But he always, yes, for different reasons, generally. One of the things you picked up last episode, JR, was the inconsistency of Bill's character. And I think that was put into sharp relief again today, because she was... Far in all barrels this week, wasn't she? Yeah, this week when she looked at a room full of uh, bombs, she didn't say, right, let's get out of it. I mean, she did say, let's get out of it, but yeah. she waited until she got the information first. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. It just, I thought this week's episode made the last week's bill, you know, her thing about, I'm with him, let's get out of it, look even more wrong. Yeah, I think. Yeah, I think I I suspend my disbelief to a degree with last last week's episode. In oxygen situation, there's a moment like a third of the way into the episode ish before things have really kicked off badly, where the doctor said we had forty suits. There's only thirty six life signs left. What does that tell you? And Nardole says, "Get back to the TARDIS and get out of here." And Bill says, "Yeah, I'm with him. Do that." And I'm thinking, no, the companion has to say, 
it tells me that there are four life or four least, suits. She'd at least take the, the middle ground, wouldn't she? Yeah, but the companion should say there are four suits that aren't accounted well, for. Let's find out. Put if it another way, if Bill's character should have. Yeah, because the yeah. week before that, mm-hmm. Bill was allowed to help with the resolution by obviously sussing on that David Suchet was sixty and not made of wood. Mm-hmm. So she 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 gave that to the doctor, and then the doctor carried that kind of with the resolution. Oh yeah, the only thing Get in it, sort of oxygen thing. that she worked out because every week they've been given her things to work out that yeah. the doctor can't work out because he doesn't know. So the David Suchet age thing. Mm-hmm. So she knows because she's a human. He doesn't trigger. Um, mm. It doesn't trigger for him because he's uh, a time lord. And in oxygen, the thing she gets to work out was, oh, you're not allowed to have illegal oxygen here. Well, anyone in that room could have worked out that the oxygen coming from the TARDIS would therefore be deemed illegal and removed. And that well, was... we were told that that, that was a, yeah a bit of a problem. We were told that within the first few minutes. So. In a way, why wasn't it of... removed immediately? Yeah, yeah, it was. There were little inconsistencies. That was there. just to give her something to do, mm. but it wasn't enough. I think in in isolation, I think it worked fairly well. But I think where it came in the series, that needed that needed to happen in the second episode, if not the first, mm. and for it to happen in the fifth, the call to adventure. I thought basically. it was unforgivable. Far too mm. far into her adventures with the Doctor. Um, Matt got in touch. Do you want to know what he had to say? Go on then. If there's anything like it, <clears throat> we treat Matt like you treated me when I got in contact. I listened to that episode the other day. What was that? Actually, I got over that fairly scot-free. Well, he doesn't really have anything to say. <laughs> doesn't he? <laughs> Matt says, Moffat's back, and he's been watching The Matrix and Dan Brown's Angels and Demons. It's one of his open-ended mid-series episodes with the same function and the same use of creepy monks as A Good Man Goes to War. This time it's made more surprising by following a run of standalone, stripped-down stories. Atmospheric. (coughs) Do you know what? They're really not standalone, are they? Because they all have these themes running through them. Anyway, it says, Atmospheric, packed with ideas and tension. It's a welcome shift in gears, but I suspect its true value will only come when the next two stories are shown. Eight out of ten, although this could rise in two weeks' time. I'm not sure... The next two stories are really gonna integrate with this at all. It's yeah. really what has the doctor learned from this email, other than that these people are running a simulation and they're about to try an invasion. He hasn't learned anything about the nature of the invasion. And okay, I'm not going to spoil it, Lee, but from what we know of the next two episodes, it doesn't look like anything that turns up in either of those episodes is going to be relevant to what we saw here. Mm. So I don't think it's going to really have any effect. Really, I think it was just a diversion. Yeah, I mean, I I, I like these episodes because they're like little experiments, thought experiments. We haven't quite done anything like that in Doctor Who before. Well, this was Stephen Moffat's turn left, right? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, yeah so... Yeah, yeah. And so it's quite um, fitting that the Pope should be played by, I can't remember the actor's name, Dan Costellanato? No, that can't <laughs> be right. That's somebody from oh. The Simpsons. I remember faces, not names. Something like that. Yeah. But, yeah, so there, you've even got a, an actor <laughs> reprising. Um, yeah, it is completely, in those terms, completely meaningless. No. Um, we don't know that. We don't know to what degree the Doctor has learnt information 
from that simulation. That's why I picked up on the thing of no. I think you're probably right, right with what you were saying. That was just a nice little nod for saying, right, ring up the girl and get the date. But part of me thinks, but but now he has that information of how things will pan out. Obviously, these aliens will follow the simulation to the letter because they've seen. Right. They said, right, this is how it's going to pan out. Oh no! Therefore, fingers and ears, Lee. Well, we know they don't. And. So, okay. no, that's not the story that's being told. And also, but he may have three picked different up information. writers. He might have picked up information about the creatures. He may have, but but the, that's information that he could have picked up in those episodes. If this so the most he's getting exist. is a warning that there's invasion, invasions coming. Yes. Right. And okay. the simulations, obviously. Well, that's a pretty big piece of information. It's running, obviously, at the same time. Well, it time. is, but you could do the next episode without him. It's not... It's, doesn't I don't I don't think this episode is going to change anything fundamental about next week's episode or the week after's episode. I think this is entirely disposable. And I was going to say, and I think because of that, that elevates it even further because he didn't need to do it and did it anyway, purely because of the experiment, purely for the sake of doing it. And I think that makes it even better. Do we know how long they were running the experiment for? Because obviously it's running in simulation with the. Uh earth at that time because both doctors are blind well i don't think they specified at all i don't and i think the so idea it could, have, is, it could have only been running for about 20 minutes yes it could yeah. i think that's kind of the point is that yeah. you don't know but you, you have to sort of <laughs> you have to sort of imagine that it's not been for very long and so and that again comes back to the thing about the book having been lost and this myth having grown up around it which is all obviously just a load of rubbish, so that when the book does turn up, the book the book turning up is essentially the kid who comes into the playground one Monday morning and says, do you know what I've heard? We're all just figments of each other's imagination. That's what the book is, right? That's what it represents. So other people have had that idea before. Mm. But in the simulation, if the simulation's only been running for 20 minutes, that's the first iteration of it in the simulation. So it's kind of... Mm. You know, it's just, yeah. it's a bit of fun. The whole thing, the whole thing is really quite serious and suspenseful and dark, but actually mm. it's just stupid, disposable fun. It really was. Yeah. And the great, and that was the great that's, thing about it, is that it was Terror of the Autons done with the tone of the mind of evil. I don't know, because of where it took me in my own head, I think it was a bit more profound than that. But that's me. Oh, it's probably well, reading well, stuff it, into it. Must, it, but... it must be because we were already existential was the first word that came out of this podcast. Yeah. So that's and a religion good start, as well, yeah. of course. Mm. It makes, kind you, of... makes you think. It's mm. prof... It makes kids think. It's profound in its illusions. Mm. Yeah. But in its substance, it's extremely unprofound. What's the word for unprofound? I think that's it, isn't it? Well. <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't think so. But do you know what I mean? It, it, I know it, what you're saying. I know, yeah, yeah. It's, sorry. It's a like of the air. Matrix is mm. profound in its illusions, but actually, it's just a load of people speaking in really deep voices, trying to be really cool. Yeah, the interesting thing about Matrix is all in the Animatrix anyway. Isn't it? That's the interesting stuff is how they got there. Mm. <clears throat> Should we give this one score, or is there anything else to bring up about it? <sighs> Direction was lovely. Yeah, there were a few. It was kind of odd because they were hopping about all over the place and they seemed to have different textures mm. in a way that didn't kind of... 
normally with an episode or with a film or with something, a television series, even if you're hopping about all over the place, you kind of have a maintained texture across the different places. Mm -hmm. But these seem to have a different texture. And there are a couple of moments when they got to CERN, I kind of got taken out of it slightly Mm -hmm. by the different texture. But not to a degree that really spoiled it. I just thought it was a slightly odd decision. Mm. That's because it wasn't CERN, was it? It was just some school somewhere with a poster. With a poster (laughs) on the wall. Yeah, I thought that. Yeah, it's a great poster saying CERN on it. Oh my God, but are you telling me also that the bits with Missy weren't actually on an alien planet? No, sorry, JR. (laughs) (laughs) It's not real. No, I thought it was beautifully shot. A lot of static camera work, which is interesting. It made it much, much more... What's the word? Well, still, I suppose. But it made you concentrate more on what was being said and actually on the on the screen itself as opposed to maybe trying to follow action. It's, it's really Calvin different. was astonishing. Yeah, it was. Amazing. Michelle Gomez was strong as well, wasn't she? And yeah. Bill Pelmacki yeah. was back to her best as well. Yeah. I mean, like I say, I didn't think she slipped by very much at all last week, but I did think they gave her a couple of things to do last week that maybe as an actress... I don't know. I just got the impression that there was slight discomfort with a couple of things last week. Towards the start of the episode, but at the end of the episode, she was amazing in those scenes. Mm. Mm. Lee, do you want to give this one a score? Uh, yeah, I should really give it a higher score than I'm going to give it, but I think I just have to go on how I'm feeling right now. That It may increase, but um, I'll give it an eight. Oh, okay. Well, that's pretty high. I know it is, but I feel like it deserves more, but I don't know why yet. So I might have to revisit it. It might be playing a bigger part, which made made me go, "Oh yeah, I saw that. I saw that. That's a part of a bigger puzzle." But maybe it won't. Maybe it won't at all. We'll see. Okay, right, Simon. What are you going to give it? I'm going to give it a nine. Okay. Um, I absolutely adored it, um, and my only uh, thing that makes me feel like it's not completely is is just those kind of is the monks. I just didn't feel that they were an appropriate... Considering what they were doing, it didn't feel like they were an appropriate threat. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, yeah. They they, they, they were kind of a bit wishy-washy considering what they were doing. I thought they should be more defined. i tell you what was really interesting about the monks was when they spoke. They just opened their mouth. Yeah, I didn't like that. Just like the Cybermen in the Tenth Planet. See what I mean about mm. themes and threads? Mm. Oh, okay. You don't know whether that's a theme or a thread. Yeah, oh, ah, oh, I've just thought of something, but I'm not going to say it. Until Lee puts his fingers in his ears. Do you want to put your fingers in your ears? Is this about the Cybermen coming back? He knows the 10th planet Cybermen. Yeah, yeah, no, I'm just wondering if they are the Cybermen, but that's how they're appearing within the simulation. All right. Yeah, they're in the next two episodes, right? What, the monks? Yes. Okay, all right. I, I see what you mean. It's almost a... like they're half bait with all the bandages off. Yeah, <laughs> that'd be quite a nice thing, wouldn't it? But it'd be, be almost like the ghosts were appearing in an army of ghosts. Yeah. Oh, oh, could be. Anyway, cyber, all that cyberspace stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. But I, I absolutely adored the episode, and, and I appreciate what you're saying that in terms of plot, it didn't actually do much. It didn't get us that much further uh, apart from giving the doctor a warning. But I like the I liked where it took us. The journey, yeah. yeah. And I'm going to give it a nine as well, and it's not a ten because of the disconnection that I think it's going to have from the next two episodes. Mm. So although I can't say that for certain, I know enough about the next two episodes to know that 
it's not really a three-parter. It's three episodes about the same thing as opposed to... Do you know what I mean? Mm, mm. If it had been a stronger link into the next two episodes, I think it might have been worth more, but because it was so frivolous... (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I just didn't think it was frivolous. I thought it was beautifully frivolous, and I think that was the whole point. The, the, The fact that it disguised itself as something profound was mirroring the fact that it was a simulation disguising itself as reality. Well, it's no different to kind of having an adventure and then times rewritten so that the people... Yeah. Yeah, okay. Yeah. <laughs> no, I'll take your point. Um, oh, i tell you what. I got an email. My phone's low on battery and I've got to go to the phone for it. So I'll go to the phone for it. From Nick Knoll about oxygen. But then we will uh, find out what Lee thought of the last couple of episodes. Because mm. you've not been here since Thin Ice. That's right. Nick Knoll on Oxygen. I rewatched this episode tonight. I'm not in the habit of doing this, but I think Oxygen was one of the best episodes to date, involving the 12th Doctor, an instant classic. A great plot, well-written dialogue, and directed at a breathless pace. And I was absolutely blindsided <laughs> by the ending. <laughs> Given the Doctor's grave infirmity, it may well be that he's forced to regenerate at the series' end to defeat the occupant of the vault. Mm. Well, given that we now know it's Missy, unless John Sim's in there as well somehow. I don't know, that could well tie in. Lee, your thoughts on... Okay, let's do this backwards then. What did you think of Oxygen? I loved Oxygen. I adored it. I think ma- mostly because of the way it was filmed <coughs> and the way it was acted, the way it was directed. You know, the the, the best scene for me out of the whole, I think it's po- possibly the best scene since the series has come back, actually, is the um, spacewalk. Yeah. You know, where Bill gets exposed within a vacuum of space. It's explained brilliantly, the fact that you've got the little oxygen bubbles, you're walking around a spaceship that doesn't have air because it's too expensive. It kind of makes sense, actually. Good sense. Sound of blood rushing through the body as well. Yeah, yeah, and then she goes out and her, ha- her helmet's not working because of the AI. Yeah, exactly. And he takes it off. And it's fantastic. And she goes cold. And, uh, you know, it's the first spine-tingling moment I've had for a few years where I just thought, this is amazing. Are we about to see a companion die? Is this? You just never know, do you? <laughs> well, I don't know because I don't know what's coming. But it, it felt real. And I was... You know, my mouth, I've caught myself with my mouth open catching flies because it was just so intense. And I hadn't, I realised I wasn't actually breathing for those, for those minutes of watching. Did you not get that this week as well? Because I got that this week, just uh, as much, if not more so than last week. I, I got it in a few places, especially... Not the was... breathing thing, but the being so wrapped up in it. Yes. Yeah, 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 yeah definitely. Yeah, there were moments. But that's, that's what I think is very, very... <laughs> Sorry, push me a bit close to the mic. That's what I think is amazing about this series is that everything's been taken quite seriously, with, as uh, you know, with the cinematography, with the direction, and the acting. And you've got comedy elements all the way through it. They're good comedy beats, and it's it's played for it's not played for laughs. And apart from Nardle's a little bit slapstick, but generally speaking, the comedy is natural and fantastic. And the you know camaraderie is that the word uh, between the chemistry uh, between the, the chemistry three. between the three of them is good, but between Bill and the Doctor. It's just something else. I just adore it. I thought it's fantastic. It doesn't quite get a 10 out of 10. Um, and I can't remember quite why I'll have to rewatch it, but there was a reason for it. Uh, maybe it's the pace, actually. The pace was 
Yeah, there were moments of tension. You got, you know, suited zombies walking about and it just felt they were relaxed too much. But I realised they have to be relaxed to conserve their oxygen. So maybe they're all naturally quite relaxed people, even in the height of a uh, you know, scenario. But I thought the survivors survivors are great. It kind of weed all over the smile survivors. <laughs> there was. We didn't mention this last week. There was one scene stroke shot in that episode that I thought was just absolutely astonishing. And it's one of those things where if you see it in a horror film, it stays with you for years afterwards. And it's when Bill wakes up and finds them just walking backwards and forwards in front of her. Yeah, yeah. That was just... (laughs) What the hell is going on? Yeah. And when you've... And it's a pretty mundane explanation, but it's just that shot Mm. of her waking up and they're just walking backwards and forwards in front of her. Mm. And you just think... What the hell is What's going, going on? on? Isn't there a similar scene like that in Star Trek First Contact? I th- I, there is, actually. Uh, or, or, is it? Yeah. yeah there is, it is. is it that? I think, it's, think. I think it's where Picard wakes up and he sees the balls walking past him or something, isn't it? That's right. They're and just ignoring him. Yeah, they're ignoring him because he's part of them. But um, no, I thought the whole thing was great. The one thing I didn't quite think worked was that the, you get these credits, the pre-title credit scenes. and the they, cold open. Yeah, they show the zombie walking towards you. And I think when when we get actually onto the uh, space station thing and they're walking about and they discover that standing up dead person, which is horrific, by the way, for tea time viewing. Mm. I wouldn't show them until they're 12. But, uh, <coughs> um, you know, it wasn't so shocking. I suppose maybe that was the reason. But it, imagine if you didn't know that that was what was attacking people and you walk in and I there it is. I thought that was the issue in Smile. Well, we had this conversation, yeah. didn't we? I didn't think it was so much an issue this week. because the tr- Not this week. In Oxygen, I mean. Right. Because the twist in Oxygen was that it was the suit rather than the occupant. Yeah, but I kind of guessed that I think just being Doctor Who fans, we probably guessed that straight away. As soon as we saw the zombies walk, it's a great idea for zombies anyway. It's another twist, isn't it, of a horror classic. But um, you see the zombies walking along and you know it's the suits straight away in right before the episode starts. So all the way through, even before we see the first, before they start talking about it and throwing exposition and explaining things. Well, you get to see the suit kind of with the, without the occupant doing yeah. the work. Yeah, uh, there's a lot of, yeah. yeah, and so that's Jamie Matheson actually yeah. foreshadowing it for people who hadn't worked it out. Yeah, yeah, but maybe I'd... I didn't work it out. I wasn't looking to... What, what, really? Before the no. music started? No. So, what, you didn't think who turned out the lights straight away? No. Oh, okay. I don't really, I don't really watch things to work things out. I like I to find out. To. It just, yeah. it just hit me. I think. I think oh, I'm I'm sorry, Lee. You tra- are the cleverest you, person. You've in the trained room. me well. You've changed the way I think, Jr. That's what it is. But uh, no, I thought nine out of ten, and it's only, um, it's only probably some tiny little bits and pieces. How do you feel about the? Because we we mentioned the um, the level of kind of political. There's a lot of that Social going on, awareness. isn't it, at the moment, I think. Um, I thought they overdid it in Oxygen. When, and in Jamie the, Matheson thought he had as well, I think he mentioned on Twitter, I think. Oh, did he? He yeah. got it in Sunmakers and stuff, but it was all more of a bit of a laugh, wasn't it? Uh, taking a rise out of taxes. Well, I think they overdid it in like Sunmakers. They did, yeah, they did. They did, really. I think you're right. But I thought... And in, in Oxygen too, yeah. But I thought that because they'd done it in Thin Ice two weeks earlier, and because it was kind of a theme in Smile as well, and yeah. sort of in Knock Knock as yeah. well, because Knock Knock was also about acquisition and of... stuff, I thought it was just too on the nose in Oxygen. 
he'd kind of already had that theme. Are we coming but... back to this idea of the time for heroes, though? The, the, that is one of the themes that's through this, and one of the tone choices, isn't it? As far as I'm aware, as far as Stephen Moff is concerned, time for heroes is tagline for the series. Oh, was it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. You know, oh. heroes in yeah. theory could be us, couldn't it? But, mm. but you know, if you've, seen, if you've seen Gravity, which it's an astonishing film to watch with absolutely no plot whatsoever. Yeah, it is. No, it, so, it, that's, it, there's another one. That's another it's one. A where... be- it's the most beautiful film to watch ever in the cinema. It had me. I was on the edge of my chair for most of it because it's so real. It's real and it's brilliant. And her falling, I can't give too much away, but she does fall quite a long way down to Earth's orbit, is astonishing piece of filming. And you are literally, you can't believe what you're looking at. But it's got no plot. Where, But this was, it felt like it, treated space with utter respect which Doctor Who doesn't normally do apart from the time when he was throwing a cricket ball and, and bouncing back with yeah. Peter Davison I think it's about as far as you get <laughs> the idea that he's in space <laughs> but you know like you said with the audio, the, the audio playing with the whooshing mm. of the blood and the, the silence and all the things she can hear within a helmet and things like that it just made this you know it, when Doctor Who does this kind of thing and they respect the surroundings they understand the location and they put the characters in the location and then the characters react accordingly to the location logically and then you build a story around it it becomes an absolutely astonishing episode it's when you just don't appreciate what's around the corner do you and think it's, all it's a bit quite silly. a um, coming back because I'd have listened to your uh, Thin Ice episode and um, there's the bit where you say about the Doctor going into dress that fits the time. I think it's re- that's a really, I don't know what the word is really, that's quite a profound thing. It makes such a difference yeah. when you feel like he's immersed <clears throat> in the time. So when he's in the suit and everything like that, mm. it becomes... Very much a First Doctor thing again as well. You know? Yeah. Not, well, not for him maybe, but for his companions. They used to dress up, didn't they, to go out to, say, Rome or whatever. Mm. Yeah. It's, Gunfighters. It's, Gunfighters, yeah, that's true. Um. Yeah. So great. I thought it was great. really strong story, really well made. But I really didn't like the bit where Bill says, "Let's go home," and I yeah. really didn't like the fact that the sort of capital anti-capitalist messages were so nailed on. Mm. I just, I tell you what, I couldn't. It only actually needed that little statement where he says, "Yeah, capitalism, capitalism in, in space." space. That's yeah. what it needed. <laughs> yeah. But I didn't. But then I didn't buy into the fact that a company would send people out into space to work and make them pay for their own oxygen. That I did not buy into that, and I realised that's supposed to be like a sort of metaphor. What, like like Americans got to pay for their no, their care. They're they kind of. It's not good. care though, is it? And oxygen. If you don't have oxygen, you can't do the job. Yeah, but isn't, that like, having, their isn't s- that like having insurance where you, you're not allowed to go ahead and... No, 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 a taco. no, no, no. Do you imagine those people brought their own spacesuits along? Do you imagine those people brought their own space suit along? Do you imagine those people brought their own space yeah. station along? No. They were put on the space station. They were given the spacesuits to wear. They have to also be given the oxygen, otherwise they can't do the job. So I appreciate that it was an analogy... Mm. but it was an analogy too far that I couldn't buy into. You wouldn't wouldn't send 40 people into space and make them have to pay for their own oxygen out of their wages. Yeah, as you say, it's an analogy for things like budgets. What about paying for their own oxygen if they went over the allotted amount that was free? 
that would make more sense, wouldn't it? If you said well, they you had, could have like, done that. you've got twenty five thousand breaths for this voyage. If you go over that, you'll have to pay. In other words, don't go running about and messing about. Or it about. gets docked off your wages. Yeah, that's sort of yeah. Thing. That would have made yeah. more sense. That would have made more sense. I know what you're thinking. Don't be dirty. No, no, I'm thinking of something else. <laughs> something else has suddenly occurred to me when I watched it again the other night because I've watched it three times now. I still love it. Is when they're all stood around in the room. Then all theory, in theory, they've all got their force fields on when they're airing when they're mm. inside the spaceship. Mm. But the air's all have been extracted, mm. so surely the sound wouldn't travel between them. So how they, how can they talk to each other? It's through the comms, isn't it? Is it through the comms? <clears throat> yeah, that's how I read it. Well, okay. you can hand wave because I, I I believe you. Okay. But yeah, yeah, I yeah. No, no, I do, I do mm. hand wave it. Yeah, yeah. But I did start. Well, we have to. It's Doctor. Well, this isn't worth thinking too no, much. No, you're about, right. You're yeah. right. Actually, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. But yeah, I just couldn't. I couldn't buy into the fact that they made them pay for their own oxygen and I said okay well that's fair enough that's what the story's about but then when you add that to the so here's a big anti-capitalist thing that's so on the nose it's not even subtle and then here's this thing where Bill wants to go home you know and they put that scene in so they could do something really horrible to her later well they could have done the horrible thing anyway mm. without having to put the scene in where she's asked to go home yeah, beforehand yeah, yeah, yeah. it just all felt like a really, really, really good story it was just trying to manipulate you just that little bit too much when it didn't need to. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's one of the reasons why I didn't get a get a ten for me that that scene of I want to go back to the TARDIS. I gave it a ten. Did you? Yeah, because I don't think I didn't feel like I needed to forgive it a lot. I no. gave it, forgave it a bit, but I just, I just adored it. You're going to tell us about Knock Knock then? Knock Knock? Yeah, let me just refer to my little bit of papier here. Because you can't remember the episode? Well, there's something there was something about it that, that, that just, I don't know, started me thinking about more themes about this 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 particular season, but I'll get to that in a minute. I really like this episode. It was, um, again, we had a strong location, which was really, it was a bit Sarah Jane, wasn't it? <laughs> you, know, you get that Sarah Jane thing, but it was treated again like an adult drama, like almost like an Agatha Christie or whatever. David Suchet in it but um, <clears throat> it was just beautifully filmed very very simple it was a perfect kind of spooky ghost horror story it's lovely with its self-referential thing through the characters you know oh, the Scooby-Doo house and all that sort of stuff that was fun every single character was I thought really strong uh, there was possibly one um, girl who was with Pearl Mackie who gets eaten her reaction wasn't particularly brilliant in certain scenes but the, that's just nitpicking, because I thought they were all great. Who's the kiddie that came down the stairs again? Doctor Legend. That one there. Me and Finn were just rolling about. He's fantastic. He's got to be a companion. The one with the big the eyes. The tall one. No, he's got the big eyes. Oh, Harry Sullivan's grandson. Is that him? Is that, yeah. What, what, for real? You just No, in the story, there was a deleted scene, and it was revealed that that character's Harry Sullivan's grandson. I didn't know that. <laughs> He's definitely got to go on. He's got definitely got to I go didn't on. Didn't enjoy him at all. Didn't you? No, I thought he was great. I thought he was gurning a lot, but yeah. well, that's just the way. But he's like he's a student, isn't he? I mean, I'm surrounded by students at the moment because my daughter's in uni. So if I completely got the doctor and Bill awkward thing going on. Yeah, as well, a lot of and... people have moaned about that, saying that was no, that's a the... sort of character mistake for her. And I thought, no, 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 no that's no. absolutely not the case. <laughs> that's totally on the nub. That is, that's, that's so close. It's unbelievable. But um, yeah, no. So the whole thing, um, the fact that it was uh, another house um, that was attacking people, because we had that in Smile already with the nanobots. So I thought it was, it was just rehashing an idea again, um, and we got you know an, a strange alien entity that isn't a villain. Um, 
But I'm glad David Suchet did a bit of um, moustache twirling. We needed a little bit of, no, kill them all! <laughs> moment. Because he was playing a, somebody you stuck at the age of 8 or 12 or whatever it was. Yeah. 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 He was desperate, wasn't he, to look after his mum. That's the bit I didn't get, though. Why was he pretending to be the, fa- uh, to be the father? What was the actual reason for him to be pretending to be the father? To be in charge, to keep her imprisoned. Why Why? why, why couldn't he have just said, I'm your son? Well, because she has, by this point, lost all sense of who and what she is. Mm-hmm. And if he says as a 50-year-old bloke to a 30-year-old woman, whatever, I'm your son, then she'd lose it entirely and he... She'd say, how long have I been here? Yeah, and if she discovers what's going on, the risk is that she'll do something stupid that means she'll die. If not, he'll become threatened as well. But she knew what was going on. The thing is, Lee, when you get into a weird relationship with somebody, right? Okay, go on then. (laughs) (laughs) Does your wife listen to this? When you get into a weird relationship... It's like that guy in airplane, isn't it? (laughs) With a kid in the cockpit. That's right, got it. Sorry. It's a gradual process. And if you see a story about it that's over and done with in 45 minutes, you've got to explain in 45 minutes a process that's taken 70 years. You can fall into situations where you're telling lies for what you think are good reasons, Mm. but that you get so deep into the lie that if you change your mind about whether it's a good reason or not, it's too late because you know that if you break the lie and start telling the truth, you might break the bond that you've built through the lie. So, yeah, I mean, there are things that were plainly obvious that, you know, know, she's made a wood, for God's sake, and (laughs) she'll be stuck in a house and nothing changes in the house. You know, well, yeah, because he just doesn't is... upgrade anything because he can't. Well, this is the other the thing. The house is made of beetles. Well, at the, at the end, the explanation for it is a fairy tale. Uh, yeah, I was going to say this is magic. So, so any, anybody turning around and saying well, it's not Doctor, magic? Doctor Who is a sci-fi series. It's not. It's, fant- it's a fantasy, and this kind of proves the point. I know. Not all of it makes. No, 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 no. It's not fantasy. It's not magic. It's actual fairy tale. It's actual Rapunzel stuck in a room in the castle. Yeah. And the wooden girl is Rapunzel stuck in a room in the castle, and he's her jailer. And so stiltskin. So so all the questions that you have, like how does he pay to keep the electricity going and stuff. You don't have those questions in Rapunzel and Rumpelstiltskin (laughs) and Hansel and Gretel and things like that. When you're talking a story about kids who go walking in the woods and Mm -hmm. meeting a wolf dressed up as a grandmother, you know, you forget those things. And there's a disconnect at the end of the episode between the fairy tale aspect and the teens in peril aspect. Yeah. Yeah, he even says... At the, at the side of the vault, oh, you're going to like this, as children getting eaten. Hmm. Um, and that's, that's direct what, that allusion the, to fairy tales. Yeah, that's the, that's the moment that made me think, oh, hang on, we, are there links with uh, Stripweiler again, Stripweiler Peter, the um, kind of German cautionary tale book he was reading the kids in Thin Ice about, um, you know, if you suck your thumbs too much, the snip snip man can come and take your thumbs off and all this really dark cautionary tales but i wrote these things i think i wonder if it's in every episode again and uh you know you just said it there and um we've got things like don't step into the puddle it could be deep 
smile and be happy or die. Don't walk on the ice, it's dangerous. If you pay cheap rent, you could probably get eaten by cockroaches. Well, maybe that's not a cautionary thing, but anyway. And there's that classic one, don't take a trip to a space station full of zombies um, when you should be grounded or you'll end up going blind. That's a classic one, isn't it? But um, no, I just think that, that maybe you've got these little oh, cautionary tale things going Cautionary through. tales. Yeah. Yeah, I don't I know. I mean, this was much more prevalent. You know, I think you, when you said, there, when you said the yeah. Rapunzel thing, I wasn't thinking I was thinking Rumpelstiltskin, but straight away I was thinking, yeah, this is this is a fantasy or fa- okay, a fairy tale. But it's Rumpelstiltskin. No, yeah. it's Rapunzel who's trapped in the tower, isn't it? Yeah. And that's the story that we had. It is. Eight out of ten. Bright. Generous. <laughs> Did what you not like think? it? I thought it was okay. I thought it was okay. It just didn't sit right with Did me. you ever go to university? No, I didn't. So you didn't have to look for a house? No. I, I went to college. Yeah. That's what it's like, looking for a house. Yeah. <laughs> it's just like that. I think they could have done more with the kids being half-absorbed into the into the house because they've had a, things like they could have hung their coat on something and suddenly realised it was a part of his oh, there's, or there's all that yeah that could have been all improved a bit but there's there was a beautiful moment as well with um, Pavel in the wall mm, and yes. there was that was a really so creepy kind of pr- profound moment though. Mm. It, was, it wasn't a comedy moment because you've got the scratching of the music playing and no one knows why he's half in the wall until he goes, ah, oh, simple release or something, and lifts up the needle, mm. and then he disappears into the wall. And you think, wow, the music's holding him there. Mm, mm. And it's a, it's a a bit of a a nod to H.P. Lovecraft's story. They could have the upped mu- the creepiness, actually, quite the mu- a lot. The music of Eric Zahn, if mm. you read that, it's all about a chap playing a violin in a, in a closed door in a, in a flat somewhere, and you just, all you ever do, all the... Residence here is this guy playing the violin, mm. but he's bringing this cosmic evilness into his room and then disappears. So, yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure that was kind of. It was kind of a shame we saw the wooden lady in all the trailers, though. Yeah, I yes. didn't. That kind so of spoiled a creepy moment. Yeah. Um. <laughs> one question. One final question about extremists before we finish. Um, and I guess we'll find out when we get home, but. What do you think fans will make of it? Because so far this series, people have been saying it's a breath of fresh air. I haven't thought it was that different from Stephen Moffat's previous stuff. This will be very and interesting because I thought it was absolute standard Stephen Moffat. Yeah, like this dived right back uh, into and Stephen if they turn, Moffat without being, being funny. Stephen if Moffat. Some of the people who used to I've, really give a have a go about it turn around and say, "Oh, this was excellent." It would be yeah. like, yeah, now you're just saying I don't, that. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I don't think we're going to get the. Um, What's it called? Heaven Sent? Is that the one? Heaven Sent? Yeah. Hellbent Heaven Sent. I don't think we're going to get the same reaction from the fans saying, you know, oh, that was a, an incredible episode. It's really clever. No, you're but missing it was, the point. It's beautiful. This is going to be... No, Heaven Sent was praised for being an oasis of decency in amongst a, a yeah. sea of shit. People this year, that's... <laughs> That was the Put general yeah. consensus among a larger, more they, vocal population. This will be the fandom. opposite, yeah, I agree. I think people, I mean, we'll see, won't we, in a few days' time. But I do feel that... Well, pe- in a few minutes' time. When we... People who don't like his writing will go back and say, oh, it's just the same old stuff again. Here we go. It's all overcomplicated. Why can't it be easy to understand, etc., cetera, etc.? Cetera. But we spent two, two hours and... I'm not convinced they will. I think they're being carried along by this series. Well, I hope so. Yeah. I hope they see that that's a great piece of writing great episode mm. I don't, don't fall back on that old oh we can't write business and 
it's all old tropes that he's bringing back. Mm. Anyway. Yeah, I think there's a certain emperor new clothes thing going on. But anyway, let's let's call it a day for tonight, and then we'll talk about pyramids next week. Yeah. Ooh, two texts back. <laughs> Until next week, then. I was JR. I was Simon. I was Lee. And we'll speak again soon. <laughs>